We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. Now, this week, we'll be talking, well, <laughs> we're not going to bury the lead. Right off the bat, we're going to be talking about uh, the Super League uh, and what it is, what it isn't, and the global consternation uh, that has happened. But you know, look, we also have other stuff that's happening, including the return uh, of Major League Soccer, Champions League, I guess, that continues on, uh, both Champions League over in Europe and Champions League from a CONCACAF Champions League perspective. All of that kind of stuff. We'll be talking uh, what we've seen, what we've listened to. But, you know, it is it is a big week and we are coming on air here on Monday with a lot of stuff going on in the world of soccer that has nothing to do necessarily uh, with kicking the ball, but is as big a story as we've seen in a long uh, in a long time. Uh, but first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, April 19th, a date that may go down in infamy in terms of uh, the world of soccer in which we uh, live? I am doing well. Uh, coming off a uh, busy weekend of MLS coverage, we had games Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Lots of fun to have the league back. Uh, but as you mentioned, also a lot of other news going on that we were keeping tabs on. So yeah, looking forward to this one. For people that have been complaining about this podcast being too long, uh, prepare yourselves because it's going to take a while. <laughs> and listen, we are we are not going to uh, you know deprive you of the MLS content that uh, that many of you like out there with the return of Major League Soccer the and the 26th season. It was wonderful. Uh, as you mentioned, we worked uh, all weekend. We had three uh, three days in a row of great MLS action, and the league came back with a with a bang in 20. 20- 21. Uh, we hope that it's going to be much better in terms of the on-field product and what's going on around it. We oh, we saw some games with uh, with fans, and we will get to all of that in our second segment. But we're going to dive in first. Mossy, I'm not even. Gonna, we're not even going to do what we're watching. Okay, let's just let's just get. Well, you're and into get rid this, that, huh? Okay? You can't I mean, wait to how, discuss this. Uh, I just you know the like I said the global reaction and angst and consternation and anger is not surprising because this is the most popular sport in the world. And for those that maybe are, are under a rock, Mossy, I'll let you explain what, <laughs> what has happened over the last 48 hours, let's say. Well, this long-rumored Super League uh, looks like it's actually going to come to fruition. Uh, 12 clubs, for now, there could be more joining, um, uh, put out a statement over the weekend uh, announcing plans to... Um, essentially form their own uh, league, uh, which would 
uh, in their view, usurp the UEFA Champions League. And uh, the details are still murky, uh, but uh, essentially it is these, these, these 12 super clubs saying we are sort of banding together away from UEFA and organizing our own competition. And, and uh, I mean, I don't know if you want to get right into it, but the timing of this is truly remarkable because these clubs have been able to use the threat of a Super League to extract so many concessions from UEFA in recent years, uh, including in this latest round of negotiations, uh, which uh, the, the clubs had come to an agreement on Friday with UEFA for a, a whole revamped format for the Champions League in which they were able to get more games and a bigger slice of the pie. And UEFA was all set to announce this today, which they went ahead and did anyway. Uh, but so once that happened, people thought, oh, okay, th- this the whole Super League thing was a negotiating ploy yet again, and the, and the Super Clubs were able to get uh, more from UEFA. And instead, we find out that while they were negotiating with UEFA, they were actually cooking up this whole other competition, and they announced it the day before UEFA were set to announce the new Champions League format. So it's truly remarkable the way this all played out. Did you just paint UEFA as like the poor little, uh, you know, beaten upon type of uh, side over there? I mean, look, the, the word... The word greed has been thrown around over the last 72 hours relative to this. And, and as you mentioned, this is, this is nothing new in that at times this has been floated out and at times it has been used to, for leverage. I think this is a whole different level, uh, Mossy, in, in terms of what is being said, the detail in which it has been announced, the formality in which it has been announced, uh, both in terms of um, the... Uh, the individuals involved, the teams involved, and that is why I think it it becomes so, I guess for lack of a better word, serious. But the 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 hypocrisy and the sanctimony, and yes, the judgment and the ridiculousness out there uh, should be a surprise to no one. Uh, when you when you look at uh, you mentioned UEFA. Our greed, I guess, is authentic and traditional, but somebody else's greed isn't. It's amazing how, Mossy, we, we, we use greed as a pejorative, and I know not to get all Gordon Gecko on you and all that kind of stuff, but the, we oftentimes um, refer to soccer players, uh, attacking players, goal scorers, as being greedy. And it's used as a, uh, as a form of compliment. They, they're greedy for goals. They want to have goals. But if a owner or a group of owners or a collection or a league or something out there uh, is greedy. Oh, no, that's not good. That's, uh, that's not good. Um, you know, I, I believe that this is a situation where uh, these are owners that are trying to do what they think is best for their business. And some of these are massive businesses, billion-dollar businesses, and, and global businesses, as we, as we know. I also believe that if this comes to fruition and if they produce a better product than the existing competition that is in the market, then I'll be a customer. I am a consumer of soccer. I want to see exciting, entertaining performances. I want to see things that I believe are fun and interesting out there. If this is created, Mossy, my question to you first and foremost, if this is created, do you think, and this is a big F, by the way, because there's still got a lot to work. Ultimately, the lawyers are the ones that are going to win, ultimately. But if this, ha- if this comes to fruition, do you think that this is something that you and or the world out there will 
latch on to and enjoy? Will you buy this product? Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, if, if I'm like you, I, I love good soccer. And if two great teams with players who I like watching are playing each other, I'll, I'll, I'll turn on the TV and watch. Um, listen, l- let me just say this. I'm not averse to change. Soccer fans are traditionalists by nature. And so they're very averse mm-hmm. to change. But to me, hey, this is how we've always done it is not an argument to keep doing it that way. Things have to constantly be reevaluated. And if there's ways to improve something, then I'm open to it. And so if all the European clubs wanted to band together and say, we don't like the way UEFA is organizing the Champions League right now. We think we can break apart from UEFA and organize a better competition. Uh, I'm open to that. And I'm at least willing to listen to what they came up with. So I don't, I don't, I don't object to this out of principle, but uh, you know, I reserve the right. To, and you're right. Ultimately, the market will dictate, but I can still look at an idea on paper and have an opinion about whether it makes sense or not. I just ultimately don't like what they came up with. And my big objection to it is the lack of any meritocracy. Uh, when we talk about these super clubs, the reason Real Madrid and Juventus became super clubs, it wasn't like we all just rolled out of bed one day and decided these are going to be the biggest clubs in Europe. They earned it through decades of incredible success on the field. And as long as they keep Doing that, then there would be no issue. But you have to at least allow for the possibility that if you're a big club and you get it spectacularly wrong, like we have seen with AC Milan in the last decade or Manchester United or even Arsenal right now, that you pay some sort of price for it. And instead, they've created this framework where certain clubs just get to be in this in perpetuity. And I think that's what rubs people the wrong way. Had they come up with a competition to usurp the Champions League that that they thought was better, but that at least still function within sort of the, the basic pyramid of you having to qualify for it and earn your way to it and teams can drop out depending on their poor performance, something where there was a greater sense of meritocracy to it. I think fans would have been more open to it, but it just rubs everybody the wrong way. This notion that these clubs are just going to go off and create this closed system where you don't even have to earn your way in. You just get to be in it. Hold on, Mossy. Hold on. You're saying that it's a meritocracy? Yes. I mean, right now, of course, certain clubs have tremendous advantages financially, but they still have to Oh, but then it's not a meritocracy. So it's not about who the best club win. You spend more money than but somebody you can, else. A and club you that spends more money can screw it up. We've seen examples of that. I mean, Bayern Munich still have to finish in the top four in the Bundesliga to get in the Champions League. Of course, the notion of them not finishing in the top four seems preposterous. But that's not a meritocracy. But there still is. That's not a meritocracy, though, Mossy. If it's if you really want a meritocracy, then everybody spends the exact same amount. It could be ridiculous no. amounts, but everybody should spend the exact same amount and then let the chips fall well, fall where they may. That's not a that's not. But a meritocracy. you don't think the system we have now, where the teams to be in the Champions League have to at least qualify via the domestic league placement, is more of a meritocracy than just taking certain teams and saying you're just in it? Oh, more of a meritocracy. Oh, okay. So it's, uh, it's but it's not a meritocracy. Well, there okay. there are degrees and these, of, and these of meritocracy. Clubs? I I I'm I'm with you. We've okay, we've but, talked on this podcast. And Endlessly about how European football is becoming too top heavy and predictable and it's the same teams. And, and you know, I would be open to a salary cap and doing things to add a, a more parity. But I still think what we have now is better than this. I mean, there's there's at least, uh, you know, West Ham and Leicester are in the top four right now. They could theoretically qualify for next season's Champions League while clubs like Arsenal and Tottenham are mid table. So they're going to pay a price for screwing it up that badly. They're not going to qualify. And what, we're now creating a system where certain clubs just get to say, no, we're, we're the big club. So we're in this in perpetuity. It doesn't matter what our actual performances in our domestic leagues. I think that rubs people the wrong way. You know, uh, speaking of rubbing, rubbing people the wrong way, uh, our friend Grant Wall took a, uh, took a uh, not a <laughs> shot at me. He, uh, he actually uh, tweeted me earlier today um, as, as this news started to proliferate throughout the soccer world, you know, everyone's taking sides. Everybody's got their opinions. And, uh, and by the way, <laughs> I, I, let me digress here for a second. 
the uh, the the clutching of pearls out there from uh, pundits is uh, is interesting, but not surprising, and it's and it's rather rich out there. Don't think for a second that all of the pundits out there and the pope, the folk folks and the folks in our business aren't raising their hands and thanking the soccer gods for this manna from heaven uh, in terms of the content out there. And the performances so far have been mm, chef's kiss out there. And once again, the hypocrisy out there. Anyway, uh, Grant Wall, uh, no, you no, want no, to say say, something say about it? I can see, though. Okay, so anyway, Grant Wall said, uh, are you going to go all in and say you're supporting the Super League? Lots of hate engagement there for someone. So, you know, Grant fishing for engagement. I'm going to give him back his engagement. And I tweeted back to him and said, of course. Of course I will support this if it creates something better, ultimately. In the same way, and I think I've been pretty consistent over the years with this, that I have said that I will 100% support a new league that were to come along, for example, here in the United States or in the United States and Canada and competed against Major League Soccer. And Major League Soccer is something near and dear to my heart. And if that new league aimed to provide uh, and give the customer a better product, and maybe even a product that, I don't know, said had promotion relegation or something like that. I would 100% support that in the same way that I am supporting this. Let the best business and let the best product win out. And, uh, you know, so I sent that back uh, to, to Grant Wall. And, you know, it's it, like I said, it's interesting to, to see how people how people see this, how people color this. The, the good and bad. Owners as villains is nothing new. That is a characterization and a role that they recognize from the moment that these men and women uh, sign on the dotted line and own these teams. They know that no matter what, they are going to be portrayed as villains. This just per perpetuates that type of, uh, of uh, a characterization uh, in, in what they are doing. But there are only sinners out there. There are no saints. And so this quote-unquote greed out there that we seem to have reserved judgment for this uh, you know, dirty dozen or whatever you want to call it, the teams out there, you can find it with every team. You can find it with every league. You certainly can find it when it comes to UEFA uh, or FIFA or FIFA uh, FIFA out there. But it, it, it's it's greed in one hand, okay. But if it's our greed, then it's okay. But if it's your yeah, greed, I mean, then it's not. Although okay. although I'm not a fan of this, two points in your favor. Uh, these European clubs claim to have done research on it and they found that younger fans actually support this more than you'd think. You know, it's a lot of stodgy old pundits who presume to know how all fans feel about this, but actually the market research indicates that younger fans are more open to this idea. And number two, I just want to revisit a point I just made. It's worth making again. Uh, let's not pretend like the status quo is great. You know, I know in this pandemic season, we've had some greater unpredictability in these domestic leagues. But, uh, you know, as, as Miguel Delaney points out, presenting the occasional success of a low spending club or the occasional failure of a big spending club as evidence that money doesn't rule football is like clinging to a few cold days to dismiss global warming. The larger trends are undeniable. And this sport is becoming incredibly top heavy and predictable. And there are certain super clubs that seem to be operating in their own universe. So this is already an issue where it feels like there are certain clubs that are sort of operating separate from everybody else. And this just is just taking this to, a, a an, I think, an extreme. But nevertheless, let's not pretend like the status quo now that they're disrupting is something that's working great. Uh, so to your point, yeah, I mean, that <laughs> this sport has a lot of issues right now anyway with this whole super club dynamic. And by the way, 
if this happens, and that's still a big if, like we said, this is this is as close as I think we've gotten because of the formality of it, but there is still a lot of hoops to jump through in order for this to actually happen. But it's happening kind of in real time. Even as we go on air, they've threatened to to uh, disqualify or take out the, anybody that's participating in this when it comes to Champions League, which would, by the way, be three out of the four teams participating in this. If, if this does come to fruition... Um, there's a possibility that the public says, no, we don't want this. And as a business, as a product, it fails. And in doing so, maybe there is a changing of the guard. Maybe these you know, old school, old money, big super clubs that we have, they become so out of touch and bloated by doing something like this that they go away. And we have new ones that arise and ones that we didn't even think about uh, out there that kind of take that mantle and, uh, and go on. Which brings me to my other point. And, and one of the you know, legitimate um, concerns right now that is being raised is the knock-on effect and how this is going to impact uh, other leagues. Whether it's you know, the EPL or La Liga or other, uh, and other teams that rely so heavily on that association from a business perspective and certainly from a global business perspective on having these super clubs as, as traditional parts of what they, uh, uh, what they are doing. Mossy, uh, how, in your crystal ball, if this were to happen, would it be detrimental to those teams and, and the sport going forward? Yeah, I mean, right now, uh, all all the leagues, the domestic leagues, are threatening to expel these teams from from their domestic leagues. And Johnny Infantino and FIFA are threatening the players that take part in the Super League with not being able to play for their countries in major international tournaments. If they, all these parties held true to that, then I think that would be the death of the Super League. But I want to see it. I want to see Johnny Infantino... Uh, ban Messi and Ronaldo from playing in the next World Cup because Barcelona and Juventus are in the Super League. I want to see the Premier League ban <laughs> Manchester United and Liverpool from taking part, uh, you know, given the cash cows that those clubs are. Uh, so I, I got to see it to believe it. But I mean, if if they held true uh, to those threats, then I think that th- this Super League thing would be dead on arrival. Uh, but you're saying if the Super League actually goes through and these teams do get expelled from these competitions, what, what would it do to the Premier League and to, the, to these other... Yeah, I mean, so the way that it's set up right now, take away the, the, ex- the, the expulsion possibility right now. If it all went as planned, you would have this situation where it's a Super League. And once again, it's not them completely leaving the leagues that they're in. This is a Wednesday type of scenario that is happening. And theoretically, it would, for these elite teams and those participating, it would replace Champions League. Remains to be seen whether Champions League could survive without these elite super clubs going forward. But in essence, that's what would happen. And then on the weekend, you would be back playing. You know, Arsenal would play against uh, uh, Newcastle or whoever it ends up being. Now, part of the problem there is for people that look at it and say, okay, yes, but in in normal times and in classic times, Arsenal is trying to get top four to qualify for the Champions League, and yet they have been assured because 15 of these ultimate, uh, ultimately 20 teams will be guaranteed that no matter what, they are going to stay in this league, and so therefore it's closed. Another five will come in and out, so there is that, there is that opportunity for another, for another five. And by the way, when it comes to hypocrisy, on, on the, in the moment that this is happening, as you mentioned, UEFA also announcing their new rules for Champions League, which include a clause for elite teams that don't qualify to qualify. So anyway, there's hypocrisy all, all, all over the place. No, but I mean, that, that's, them, that's them giving into pressure from these super clubs that ask for that. 
WEFA, if they had their druthers, wouldn't include a clause like that. So all the concessions you saw announced in this new format today were an effort to stave off the Super League by giving these super clubs more of what they want. Like I said, more games. And we should say what the new format is. It increases the, the number of teams from 32 to 36. And rather than groups, it's a league format where uh, the 36 teams are just all on one table and they, they play each other. I guess it's it's 10 games per team that would be drawn ahead of time. And then the top eight advance automatically to the knockout stage and then the teams nine through 24 play in two-legged ties to determine the other eight teams and then you're left with 16 and then the knockout stage continues as as it as it is now and so but yeah the, in this deal the the bigger clubs get a bigger slice of the pie uh they get more games which is what they wanted so this was viewed as sort of way for giving them what they want so so why do you need a super league anymore you essentially have one here but apparently this wasn't enough for the super clubs because they want to be able to keep all the money right now the way the framework the way you know the Champions League is obviously this huge revenue generator and the clubs do get to keep a lot of it, but some of it goes to UEFA and that's the money they use to, to uh, give to some of the smaller federations to fund women's soccer and all these other programs. And, and these super clubs are saying, uh, we don't understand why we're kicking in this much money to UEFA and some don't even want to kick anything at all. They want to be able to keep all the revenues generated for themselves. So that's kind of at the heart of all this. Well, see, uh, speaking of another thing, uh, speaking of the heart of things, another thing that has been brought up through all of this is this concept that... You know, I, I reject to a certain extent. It, these are these are sports teams, okay? These these are not charities. Now, I recognize that sports occupies a place in our life that's different in when it comes to business and products and customers and all that kind of stuff. It's not necessarily the same as buying soap. Um, do you think? that these are something more than actual businesses when we look at them. And I'm not talking about some of the concessions um, and the, uh, you know, the advantages that sports teams have, even in, our, even in our own country. You look at antitrust laws and that kind of stuff. But do you think ultimately that it's, that it's okay for them to operate as, as businesses like anything else? Or do you think that there is a charitable element of them that puts them in a different level than other products and other businesses out there? I think you can, you can mostly operate as a business, but, but with an understanding that you can't take it too far. There are certain lines you can't cross. You know, if, if the Liverpool owners got offered a deal where if they tore down Anfield and built some new state-of-the-art stadium, they would, they would generate more money by doing that. But in that case, you have to have an understanding of what that stadium means to that city, that community. So I do think, I agree with you, generally speaking, it's a business, but but I mean, these soccer teams do hold on, hold occupy on, a special on, place in these communities. So there are instances where you have to curb a little bit on, of that. Come on, Mossy. Really? That's the example you're going to use? Anfield? Look, I, I know it's historic. I know it's, it, it's got, you know, it, it's a personal thing for people. But everything, everything moves. Everything evolves. Everything changes. I mean, even the EPL in it of itself was created out of something like this. And, and, and. And ch and fundamentally changed. And by the way, they created not just the most popular league in the world, but the league that generates the most revenue out there. So you want to but talk about crucially, green. crucially, they stayed within the English football pyramid. There's still promotion relegation, sure. and we've seen teams move up from the lower divisions and get into the Premier League. So that's my big criticism here. These clubs, listen, I'm I'm no big fan of UEFA, and I totally buy that some of these presidents at these bigger clubs might be smarter than the people at UEFA and could have come up with a better competition with a better format that generates more money and is more entertaining. But I wish they had come up with something that still worked within the general pyramid. Like I said, I know you don't like this word meritocracy, but preserving some sense of having
having to earn your way in it rather than just being in it in perpetuity. Can That's you imagine if you are of those fifth, ultimate 15 teams that are guaranteed spots regardless of what they do? I mean, the- theoretically, uh, 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 I'm just using Arsenal as an example. Arsenal could, in its weekend club situation in the EPL, get relegated and yet still be playing in the Super League. because. But can you imagine? No, but because the, the competition part of it, I think, is very, very important because there, there is a, uh, there's a narrative out there that this is going to dampen um, and even alleviate that type of competition that you have. Can you imagine if you are that 15th place team or even if you end up – 20th, right? Even with the five teams that are that are invited each year or, or that qualify in, however it is. If you are that Arsenal that does finish, I don't, I don't buy that teams and players are going to be less competitive in the Super League situation that we are talking about um, because of the fact that they are just going to be back again next year. No, but uh, no, listen, as we've talked about, these, these, all these big clubs that are going to be in the Super League, because they have such advantages when it comes to finances, they probably, if, if we did set up a meritocratic system like I'm advocating, those probably would be the clubs that would routinely qualify for that competition anyway. But I just feel like you have to at least allow for a big club getting it spectacularly wrong. And it's just, and, perf- and it's just performative just to have it, to saying <laughs> that you have it. I mean, oh my gosh. And by the way, somebody asked me about... Um, you know, the, the, the MLS component of it. And we always, we always kind of look and compare and contrast. The, the owners of European teams, okay, they certainly did not need Major League Soccer to, to understand or to appreciate um, the, that mitigating the threat of relegation could be good for their business, all right? Most owners out there uh, would gladly, gladly agree to take uh, the, the relegation risk off the table. And by the way, to your point, those who say they wouldn't usually aren't threatened by it at all because they've spent so much money that they, you know, they've hedged their bets in terms of what the, their ability to do. Uh, I, I must, what else do you want to hit on this? Because, you know, we, we kind of have to push it down the road and, and see how this, old, and it's happening in real time. Like we said, they're potentially... There could be players and teams that are banned from participating in in Champions League going forward. Somebody asked me if I were signing today for a club in Europe and signing with whatever club it ended up being precluded me from participating and, and representing my country with the national team, would I still sign? And that's a good question. I, I don't think I would. I think that that would be a game-changing type of thing, and that would make it a no-go, uh, not being able to participate. And it's still, it still remains to be seen if that's even enforceable. And once again, the, the courts and the laws are going to get involved as to what you're able to do and what, you're, uh, what, what, what you can and what you can't do. But yeah, I think that that would be really problematic for me. Now, I say that, and yet if you throw ridiculous amounts of money at players, it's amazing what we will do. And uh, it's amazing how quickly we can get over the, uh, you know, the uh, the disappointment and sadness of not representing your country relative to uh, when you go to your ATM each and every week. Uh, Masi, what do you want to hit now? Well, it's a perfect segue. You said uh, that UEFA are threatening to expel the three clubs that are part of the Super League and that are still involved in this season's semifinals, which are Real Madrid. Uh, Manchester City and Chelsea. Amazingly enough, PSG have not signed on to the Super League. So right now they are the bastion of, you know, preserving the values of, of the game. <laughs> 
Congratulations, uh, Felicitatis or whatever. I don't know. You're the Frenchman. How do you say uh, congratulations in French, Mossy? Uh, felicitations. Felicitations, uh, PSG. Congratulations um, on winning, finally getting to the promised land and <laughs> winning Champions League. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, if we can transition to that because the semifinals are set for this season's Champions League. I'm a, uh, let's, let's operate under the presumption these games are going to be played and this is going to go ahead. So, yeah, it, it is uh, PSG against Manchester City uh, and then Real Madrid against Chelsea. The first legs will be in Paris and Madrid, and then the second legs will be in Manchester and Chelsea in and, and, and London. And then just to circle back to how these teams made it, because uh, I found the, the quarterfinal second legs fascinating. Um, Chelsea, uh, actually, amazingly enough, uh, Chelsea and PSG both lost their second leg, but advanced thanks to their first leg results. Chelsea lost to Porto 1-0 on an incredible overhead kick, oh by God, the way. Oh, my God, that was awesome. Uh, yeah. but, but because they had won the first leg 2-0, uh, they advanced. Both those legs played in Sevilla. And uh, I do want to stop at the PSG games for a second because they lost to Bayern 1-0, but advanced on away goals. And Neymar's performance yet again became a big uh, source of debate. Uh, this was... Uh, reminiscent of the Atalanta game in the quarterfinals last season in which he was dazzling, created all these chances, did everything right, but didn't finish. And when he does that, he gives his haters a little something to cling to. Uh, although pretty much anybody with a modicum of objectivity and understanding in, uh, of the game recognized that he had a sensational performance. All the newspapers around the world were gushing about it. But there were people on Twitter and some pundits like Peter Schmeichel, who's decided to make Neymar the Aaron Rodgers to his Skip Bayless, um, who, who were trying to tear him down. So, I mean, did, did you watch that game? What did you make of Neymar's performance? Was this another one of those where you admire his ability to dribble past opponents and create chances? Or were you hung up on the fact that he actually didn't score and he squandered some opportunities? No, I still, I, I, what do the kids say? I stand, I stand for uh, Neymar? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if the kids say that anymore. And it probably sounds horrible when a 50 year old dad says it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I still I still want him on my team. I still think that he can be a, effective. Um, and I still think he's one of the great players in the world uh, right now. But what what other than the, you know, the diving, which is kind of an evergreen type of thing. What what are the, what are the major complaints out there? Well, the, the criticism, which is not invalid, I have to say. Obviously, I'm a big Neymar fan, sure. but it, it, this criticism not invalid is he does need to be more clinical. He does miss some chances in these big games that he should put away, and it, and it, it could have cost his team against Atalanta last season. It could have cost his team in this one. Uh, they were able to get the result anyway and go through, so all is well that ends well. We can focus more on the positives of his performance. But had Bayern gotten a second goal and gone through, we all would have looked back at a couple of those Neymar misses sure. and said, oh, he ended up costing his team. So that is absolutely a fair criticism. And and if Schmeichel had just kept it at that and said, look, he had a great game overall, but man, his finishing's got to improve. That, you know, Messi and Ronaldo would have put those away. But instead he said, oh, he didn't have a good game at all. I don't know what you guys are talking about, which that that's where Schmeichel is going off the reservation. Like I said, he's trying to cultivate this whole Skip Bayless, Aaron Rodgers thing with Neymar. But, so it's a bit tedious. But can Neymar or any Brazilian for that matter, be clinical? It, it, I mean, who who of the Brazilians out there are clinical? Uh, currently, uh, no one, which much to my father's consternation, he, he looks at the top scores, uh, uh, charts and all the top. Okay. Well, give me, some in history, there. <laughs> give me some in history. Give me some in history. I mean, well, I mean in obviously in past years, Ronaldo's and Romario, I know you, you're on record as saying Romario is, is probably the best striker you face. There's somebody who was quite clinical. You think he's clinical though? Uh, I mean, I, I, the way in which they, it's one thing being prolific. Okay. But, but clinical, I think it, that 
that connotes a, a, a different type of playing in, in that there's there's a ruthlessness and a rigidness and a a, a robotic um, type of performance out there. And I think that's the antithesis of what most Brazilians or Brazilian soccer has has sold to us over the years. So I'm 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 hard pressed to find, I guess, what Schmeichel wants right now. I guess <laughs> that whatever that prototype is, I, I don't I don't know if I don't know if we've seen it or. Or if it's just not in the DNA of Brazilian players to do that. Yeah, I will say though, uh, this PSG team has has a feel about it. Mm-hmm. Where you know Mbappe played great in these two legs. Neymar is in form. Uh, Kaylor Navas performing miracles in goal. Uh, if they get Marquinhos back and healthy, and, and Verratti in that midfield, and with Pochettino managing them, and, and the way he's he's built a real hardworking, compact team there, uh, I, I think they have a real chance this season. In fact, in fact, I think they're probably the best team left. I favor them to get past. Manchester City, who, if you want to skip to that tie uh, against Dortmund, you know, I, we set this up as, you know, this is when City usually flake out, but luckily they were facing an even flakier team. And it, and frankly, it kind of played out that way because uh, City it, were looking very wobbly there early in the second half, down 1-0, going, going out on away goals, only 30-something minutes left. And then they get something of a gift, Emery Chan, with a totally needless handball in the box, penalty, Mares converts. Uh, then City did take control from there. Phil Foden uh, scored another beautiful goal. He belongs in any best young player in the world discussion. He's phenomenal. Yep. Kevin De Bruyne was excellent in these two games. Um, so uh, City do go through. They are. They were, in fact, I should say, the only team to win both legs in the quarterfinals. But nevertheless, it, it, it feels like they peaked already this season. They, they feel a little wobbly to me. And then we'll get we'll get to in a second their weekend defeat. But uh, I, I I favor PSG against Manchester City. How do you how do you, you see do. that? You do. All right. So you, and you, and you've kind of characterized them as the the, the less flaky of of the uh, of the two that were uh, you know between. Um, uh, between them and Dortmund, right? Is that uh, is that how you're character? Correct. Yeah. It, it, ultimately, that's what won the day. The less flaky team. I think that they will shake the flakiness versus PSG. So I am much more bullish about Man City than you are in this matchup uh, with PSG, which is good. It'll be interesting to it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, you just rattled off all of the players and all of the all of the good stuff there. But I, I get what you're saying in that there is an undercurrent of of flakiness in that it's not quite at that upper echelon especially coming up against a PSG that to your point just feels like all right this is it it would be yeah. <laughs> it would be crazy if if they ultimately won it and they never actually played the semifinal or the final, given what's happening going <laughs> well, right yeah, now. That would but be who knows? Ridiculous way to win it. Uh, and then the last quarterfinal second leg I want to mention is Real Madrid went to Anfield with a three-one aggregate lead, and, and you got this right. I thought Liverpool would make more of a go of this. Instead, Real Madrid just calmly saw it out. And, and I, I will say, Thibaut Courtois made some very good saves in this one. And listen, I'm the biggest Kaylor Navas fan in the world. I continue to say he was the best bang for buck signing of the entire Qatari era at PSG. He, he's big reason they got to the final last season, a big reason why they might win it this season. But whenever every whenever people praise Navas, they do it in such a way where they're kind of throwing it in Real Madrid's face. And it must be said, the guy that Real Madrid replaced Navas with is phenomenal as well. And Courtois is winning games for them. Also came up big in this tie. He's come up big in La Liga this season. Uh, and so Real Madrid did what they had to do. They get a nil-nil at Anfield. And, you know, uh, we know that no fans has undermined home field advantage everywhere, but there are certain stadiums where really, I mean, I could tell you with Brazilian clubs, 
Anil Libertadores last season going to La Bombonera to face Boca. It was a completely different proposition with no fans, not intimidating at all. They were able to play their game and get good results. And you're seeing the same thing with Liverpool this season. Real Madrid went there with no fear. It would have been a totally different deal if Anfield is rocking and the fans and everything. But so, Well, you're building a new stadium anyway, so Anfield's no longer in existence (laughs) anyway. (laughs) I can't believe you, man. I can't believe you would do that. What about about Real Madrid-Chelsea semifinal? Because I'm torn on this. I think this is a 50-50. Really? You think it's 50-50? I don't think it's even close to 50-50. I think Real Madrid all the way. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, Chelsea... There's some similarities to 2012 when they won the Champions League, and then and that, that season they sacked Vilas Boas and brought in uh, Roberto Di Matteo. This season they get rid of Lampard, bring in Tuchel, and it was a season where they weren't doing that well in the Premier League. They finished sixth that season. They're, I believe, fifth right now. But I think it, it's a different deal because, you know, I, I've, I've said this before on this podcast, I feel like Chelsea kind of fluked their way to the title that year. And I remember we had some fun with that because Chelsea super fan Alex Dowd was right. producing the podcast then. Uh, this time around, this feels more real to me. Since Tuchel got there, they have been one of the best teams in Europe. And it feels totally legit that they're in this final four and, and they, they belong with these other teams that are in there. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very high on Chelsea under Tuchel. And so I think they have as good a chance as anybody here to win it. Though, like I said, I, I think it's 50-50 against Real Madrid. But I, I think PSG are the slight favorites to win the Champions League now, just looking at this quartet. Mm, I'd go with Real Madrid. And I would not agree with your characterization of this Chelsea team. I think that deep down, both Tuchel and ultimately this team is saying, how the hell do we get here? Okay. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying they're not, I'm, look, I'm not saying there's not quality, but I also think that this is a work in progress. It doesn't mean that they, they you know, that, that it's not a great team, but it's still a work in progress. And I think that there's, there's a bit of, of, of Tuchel and this team right now that says, listen, I came in and I just, with duct tape and I just kind of figured it out, but I have much bigger things to, to do in the future. And this is where they bow. But could be wrong. I could be wrong. I, I am often wrong. What else, Masi? And just to just to rattle off a couple of weekend things, uh, let's stay with the Chelsea theme. Let's go FA Cup semifinal next. Uh, so they beat uh, City 1-0 at Wembley this past weekend. Leicester then beat Southampton by the same score. So it'll be Chelsea-Leicester FA Cup final May 15th at Wembley. Uh, interesting on that uh, City loss to Chelsea. Obviously, it, it ends their quadruple dreams. Uh, Pep made a big call. Zach Steffen had started all the earlier rounds uh, but some people thought, okay, now you're in the semifinal at Wembley. That's when you bring your number one, Ederson. And Pep uh, decided to start Stefan. And he said before the game, I would lose the team because Stefan is a very popular figure. And, and you got to kind of stay with the guy that got you this far in this competition. It's a dilemma managers face a lot, a lot of time in these cup competitions. When they play the backup goalkeeper in the earlier rounds, when you get to the end, do you bring the starter back in or do you stick with the guy that played all the earlier rounds? Uh, so he, he stuck with Stefan. And lo and behold, Stefan, <laughs> I don't know if you saw the goal, yep. but... Yep. I don't, I'm not sure what he was doing on that play. Uh, but He that, didn't know what was... he was doing either. So. <laughs> <laughs> but wait a second, Mossy. So you're saying that this English team uh, approached this game and didn't play their best players? Yeah, Pep's quote, you know, he could have said, I have full confidence in Stefan. I think he gives us every bit the same chance to win this game as Ederson. Instead, he kind of framed it as if he was acknowledging that he was reducing his team chance. He said, look, I'm willing to sacrifice losing this game to not lose the team, which was kind of a weird thing to say. Oh, wait a second. So it's, so the thing that people are so worried about when it comes to the Super League is already happening. 
Ah, look at you bringing it full circle. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you already have teams that are approaching games in different ways and because they have hedged their bets and because they spend so much money, they can do that. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. And, and Ziek ended up getting the goal. Pulisic scored a beautiful goal late that was waved off for offside. By, by the way, Stefan didn't cover himself in glory on that play either, but uh, nevertheless, uh, it ends 1-0 uh, Chelsea. So they are off to the final. Um Staying on the American front, Gio Reyna scored a nice goal for uh, Dortmund against Bremen. So uh, he gets himself back on track. Uh, And Frankfurt lost, by the way. They got thumped by Gladbach. So Dortmund close to within four there in that battle for that final Champions League spot, which, as we discussed, could impact Erlen Holland's future. Erlen Holland, by the way, had gone seven games in a row without scoring for club and country. He gets two in this one. So he's he's back back on track again. Uh, And then lastly, uh, I do want to mention the Copa del Rey final. Barcelona hammered Athletic Bilbao 4-0. Messi scored two goals, including an all-timer, which uh, I've said this before. You know, sometimes when somebody else like a Mo Salah scores a nice goal, you hear people say, oh, if that was Messi, everybody would be going nuts about that. The insinuation being that we make a bigger deal out of goals when it's Messi. I actually think it's the other way around. We've become so used to his brilliance that there are goals he scores that if any other player scored him, we'd be losing our minds. But because it's him, you sort of take it for granted. And this was one of them. This was just an incredible uh, goal that started in his own half, played all these clever one-twos, including with Serginho Des at the start of it, and then pops up at the other end and slots it home. So just incredible. And, and, and I continue to say there's a disconnect between the Spanish media and the European media with the rest of the international media with regards to Messi. You know, you, I read a lot of things this week. And, oh, was this his last trophy for Barcelona? And, and last week when they played Real Madrid, was this his last Clasico? Uh, and meanwhile, the Spanish media is now convinced there's like a 90% chance he's going to stay. And this whole thing is feeling like it's building towards an anti-climax because the rest of the media has built this up as if we're going to have this major messy transfer saga in the summer. And I think he might sign a deal with Barcelona one week into the summer and put the whole thing to bed. Uh, you know, he's, they, he, they got the president out of there that he hates. They got one in Laporta who he likes. Uh, they're winning trophies this season. They might still win La Liga, might end up with a League and Cup double, and a lot of young players coming up. So I think he's been sufficiently convinced that things are actually heading on a decent path there, and he's going to end up staying. Well, he obviously wants to make sure that he secures uh, Super League uh, participation, so that's that's very important. Uh, congratulations to Serginho Dest, American, raising a cup. Uh, well done. I don't know if you saw uh, Messi, speaking of just uh, how legendary he is, actually taking selfies and pictures with his team as the players just came one after great. one <laughs> to, to have that picture that you know they are going to frame and have forever of them with Messi and one and winning a trophy which which I completely get and under uh, and understand although by the way Masi if every team in La Liga had the money and the resources to spend on uh, a player like Messi or the, just the amount to spend on their team who knows it might be a more competitive league but they don't because it's not a meritocracy okay here we go what else do we got Masi anything else uh, that we want to before we uh, head out? Uh, that is it. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, uh, we'll take a look at Major League Soccer, which is back and back with a bang. Don't go anywhere. Okay, we're back. And uh, we're going to take a look at uh, Major League Soccer, which has returned. Uh, and it was, a, it was a wonderful opening weekend of... A league that, as I readily admit, is near and dear to my heart. I am a MLS shill, proud of it. I love this league. It is personal to me, and um, it has plenty of faults. But the 
the um, the goals that we saw, the competition that we saw, and I think the the excitement that uh, that people felt. And I know it's limited, and I know we need more fans when it comes to Major League Soccer. But those of us that are in it, it was great. It was great to see it back, and uh, a lot of interesting games, a lot of uh, wonderful. Uh, Wonderful goals, as I said, and all these storylines going on. Obviously, we have uh, a new team uh, in the form of Austin FC, which started off against LAFC for their first ever uh, game. We have new stadiums that are opening up uh, later uh, later this year in, in Major League Soccer, and that's always a big uh, a big deal. Two of them in Ohio, uh, obviously Columbus and uh, and Cincinnati, and. Even, uh, as we mentioned, Austin uh, having their new stadium, too. Uh, the, the return of some players in the form of, let's say, a Chicharito. You know? So uh, all of these different things uh, going, uh, going on. Mossy, what were your first impressions of the return of Major League Soccer this weekend? I thought it was a very exciting opening weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, lots of games caught my attention. Uh, the first one we did Friday night, uh, Seattle beating Minnesota the way they did in a rematch of the Western Conference final. There's been some talk this offseason that Seattle might have regressed uh, and might not be the the force that we've grown accustomed to the last few years. And they put that <laughs> they put that to rest without Nicolas Lodero. Uh, my Brazilian João Paulo with an absolutely sensational opener. Raul Ruiz Diaz gets on the score sheet twice, and then Freddie Montero, who they've brought back, scores his first goal for Seattle in nine years. So that performance, that result, really caught my attention. I mean, look, we did uh, we did a lot of television these uh, these last three days, and we 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 packed it with a lot of stuff, including my power rankings, which are always. <laughs> a source for anger uh, when it comes to the fans out there. Nobody obviously wants to be last. These are just snapshots, people, all right? Your team can rapidly, rapidly uh, rise up in the standings uh, when it, or the, uh, the power rankings out there as you go on. But you got to prove it to me. So, for example, I had Montreal at the bottom, all right? I'm not alone out there in a pessimistic view of what Montreal is going to be. And yet they come right out of the chute, and boom, there you go. Uh, new coach Nancy, uh, has them beat their rivals in Toronto, a Toronto team that we had just seen in, Ch- in CONCACAF Champions League beat Lyon. So, boom, automatically you're going to rise up. Uh, good was Montreal for me. Bad, you mentioned it, the Loons. Uh, right out of the shoot with a 4 nothing loss against a Seattle. And, and for a team that I think we had and we continue to have high hopes for, they're, they're going to be good. Reynoso still, to me, is, is a wonderful player and fun to watch. And I think Minnesota is going to be okay, but that's not a good look uh, right off the bat in the opening uh, weekend. Uh, in that Seattle game, players who went up, uh, Christian Roldan, I think, was phenomenal for Seattle. He doesn't get a lot of credit. And I'll be the first to admit that I didn't think that uh, Christian Roldan was going to progress in the way that he has and be as impactful as he has. I thought he was limited, and he just keeps kind of getting better and and proving me and and some others uh, wrong out there. So well done. He was really, really good. Joseph Martinez over there in Atlanta. Now, we had seen him play in CONCACAF Champions League, and he did not look good. And he did not, and, and which is kind of to be expected after spending a year uh, sidelined with an ACL injury. But we all kind of hoped that he would be back and, you know, the, the father is back and all that kind of stuff. It didn't really pan out in CCL. And then he missed a sitter as a substitute in the, uh, the first game against Orlando. And so that was a little disappointing. 
it doesn't mean that he's that he, that he can't be great and he can't get back to it. But I think a lot of us expected him to be further along than what we saw. And for a goal scorer and for someone that's this big personality, you know that that was disappointing. Uh, good when it comes to coaching, uh, Losada, the new coach in D.C. Starts off with a win, and D.C. really hasn't been relevant for uh, for a while, and certainly since, I guess, Rooney left. And so that's a good thing for uh, for D.C. And then the, the big game uh, yesterday on Sunday was uh, Inter-Miami, uh, which we know all of the troubles that they had last year in their inaugural year, and um, against a Los Angeles Galaxy, a new and maybe improved Los Angeles Galaxy featuring a new coach in Greg Vanny. And they came in to... Uh, Miami, and not only one, but they, but Chicharito scored two goals, and so I guess it would be thumbs down for Phil Neville. Love him, came on the podcast, and he's still got plenty of uh, opportunities to uh, uh, to turn this around. But an opening day loss against the Los Angeles Galaxy, in which you gave up the lead twice at home, by the way, and you let Chicharito, who had two goals in total last year you let him score two goals in the game and you let Sasha Kleschen score the uh the the winning goal three to two so not a not a great day for Phil Neville and Inter which also if you just want to add everything to the mix as we said before the investigation into what amounts to cheating last year in terms of their roster compliance uh and their salary compliance they were found to have cheated and their Punishment is to be determined going forward, and it could be draft picks, it could be fine, it could be points reduction, although we've never had a points reduction in Major League Soccer, and it would be, in a strange way, kind of you know, biting off your nose to spite your face, uh, but I expect it to be a punishment, and this would not have happened if it wasn't egregious, whatever it is they did. And I hope they come out and are very transparent as to this was what was done and this is why it is illegal and this is why it's cheating, this is why you can't do it. So we know exactly how it all went down. And it had to be egregious because you know that over the years, eh, they've been a little loosey-goosey with the rules out there and you're allowed to kind of push them here or there. But this might have been beyond the pale and that's why enough owners said, hey, no, this is not going to fly. And they were found guilty. So... Miami not off to a great start on the field or off the field when it comes to 2021. What else, uh, you know, uh, tickled your fancy out there, Mossy? Well, I, I do want to say, you know, I, I'm I'm not a big Chicharito fan. I poo-pooed the signing uh, last year. I admit I took some satisfaction in his struggles. I do have that vain part of me that enjoys being right. But I also recognize it would be a great story if he bounced back this season, scored a ton of goals, and propelled the Galaxy into being a good team. And I think it might happen with Greg Vanny in charge. So that was a good start for them. I do want to talk about the other LA team that we had on our air on Big Fox mm-hmm. on Saturday. Uh, they beat Expansion Austin FC, who I thought acquitted themselves uh, well in their first game and looked like they're going to be a competitive team this season. Uh, LAFC won... Uh, without Diego Rossi and pretty much without Carlos Vela because of a bizarre sequence of events. Uh, before we get to the Vela thing, I do want to say very impressed with the LAFC goalkeeper, Cisniega. I thought he made some wonderful saves yep. in that game. They get rid of Vermeer, they start him, and they might have really found something here because he, he looked terrific in this game. But uh, what did you make of the Vela situation? So for those that didn't see the game, Carlos Vela, uh, former MVP, obviously one of the great players in the league, missed most of last year because of um, you know the COVID situation and injury and all that kind of stuff. So so expecting a rebound for this year. We get into the game, and I don't know, what was it, 20 minutes Mossy in? I don't know, how, how, how long? Yeah, Something, something like, like that. that, right? He goes down uh, like a ton of bricks, holding his leg, and as he gingerly stands up, he makes a signal to the sideline, okay? Now, 
We all know that the universal signal for a change is the circular motion between the two fingers, right? Uh, if you can't see me doing it, that's what I'm doing right now. That's the, the, the accepted type of thing. He did not quite do that. It was more of a come-hither type of gesture with his hand. Evidently, that was misinterpreted by the sideline and the staff of LAFC, and they thought that that meant he needed a change and needed to come out. So much so that they got a player up, and as he was off getting treatment for whatever this ailment was uh, on the sideline, Carlos Vela, they made the substitute. To, the, to what was evidently the surprise of Carlos Vela, who uh, was back and felt like he was ready to go back in. And he was none too pleased with what had happened. Credit to Bob Bradley. Um, and, you know, we do these sideline interviews. Some, and, and for the most part, a lot of these coaches, they don't give us anything. And it's, it's actually irritating because it, it's not as if they're actually doing anything on the sideline. But anyway, I, I, I digress. Anyway, Bob Bradley gave us uh, a wonderful quote in that he took full responsibility for the, quote, mistake that he made. And, and not to defend Bob Bradley, but if you go down like a ton of bricks and you're screaming and yelling and uh, you are in obvious pain, you know, he has to be able to judge in that moment that you are going to make this miraculous recovery and be able to go into uh, go onto the field in a game that he already decided uh, it's the first game of the season. They pulled out uh, Diego Rossi, even though he because he failed a fitness test at the beginning. So uh, I'm defending Bob Bradley a little bit, even though we you know he admitted he uh, he made a mistake and probably should have uh, uh, let it go. Ultimately, it didn't hurt his team because his team went on to win uh, two nothing against Austin, although I was impressed with Austin. For an expansion team, I thought they acquitted themselves well. They're going to be fun uh, fun to watch. They're still figuring out who they, who they are. And while they did spend money to bring in players, I still think that when you look at Ring in the midfield, he is a just a dynamic player. And the money that they spent within the league to get him and to recognize they need MLS experience and quality MLS experience to get out Ring, that was huge. And I think he is going to be very, very important for this team going forward. You mentioned uh, in-game coaching interviews. One we did this weekend that was very well received was Caleb Porter's on Sunday. A lot of people felt like he gave more detailed analysis than you usually get in these interviews. Unfortunately, that that might have been the highlight of the game. Yeah, that wasn't good. <laughs> because uh, it ended nil-nil. It was almost like he was doing play-by-play play for us. It was great because he was actually talking <laughs> about the things that were fundamentally happening in front. And some of the things that he wanted to change were changing in front of his eyes. It was really – it was a fascinating look into the way – coaches think and the the tactical uh, side of the game that was playing out it didn't ultimately result in a goal that would have been phenomenal but to your point yeah he was he was very good at picking out what the problem was articulating it but also in a, in a tv way relaying it to uh, and relating it to what was actually happening on the screen you know one of the one of the rules in television is uh, if it's not happening on the screen, be very, very careful because if the viewer can't see it and only you can see it, um, that's not necessarily something that is going to going to play. And Caleb Porter was wonderful in the way that he was talking about and seeing what was actually going on in the field. And it's worth noting uh, of the five teams involved in CCL, none of them won, and there were only 
two total goals scored, which was Toronto's two goals and their loss to Montreal. Atlanta held to a nil-nil draw by Orlando. Portland lost one-nil to Vancouver. And then Columbus and Philadelphia, as we just mentioned, played to a scoreless draw. So, yeah, um, juggling two competitions right now for these teams that are still kind of in this preseason form. It, it is, it, you know, in a way, it's a shame. I mean, we're happy that they're taking CCL seriously, but it undermines some of these teams' ability to put their best foot forward in the opening weekend of MLS. What, are they tired? No, I think the other way. I mean, well, yeah, I guess... They're just not in the rhythm of playing like a sequence of matches. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, you tell me. You're the former. No, player I don't know. Me. I mean, no. Listen, don't, don't do that. I hate when you do that. Okay. Just because. <laughs> look, I. I. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to get into it. Don't. Don't well, qualify things. Well, you played. Are you played? It doesn't mean that I know anything any more than anybody else. Okay. And any more than you do. I don't know. Are they tired? I don't I think they're say, tired. When it comes to going to Wikipedia and looking up a stat, then I do view myself as the expert okay. on that. Okay, all right, all right. I don't know. I um, just think I, I inhabit a world where if if I wanted to do that, we could do that every single time. And it could it could just it be – you could go down a, a rabbit hole of that. All right, well, you know, well, you, you played goalkeeper, and so you should talk about goalkeeping. You, no, just you're, you're an expert on the game. You see the game. You're able to do that, all right? That, that I was on the field or in a locker room, okay, maybe there's some things well, okay. here. It, it, so anyway. it might have been a coincidence. I don't know. We don't want to mix causation with correlation, but it, it is worth noting. Of the, the five teams that are in CCL, all performed poorly in, in the opening weekend. Uh, and do you want to use that as our segue to talk CCL? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Um, well, I mean, fantastic for MLS. Uh, all five teams advance for the first time ever. We'll have five MLS teams in the CCL quarterfinals. Uh, the way I break these, these down is Columbus, Portland, and Philadelphia were just much better than their opposition. Columbus took care of Rallis to leave 5-0 in aggregate. Portland brushed aside Marathon 7-2 in aggregate. And Philly beat Saprissa 5-0 in aggregate. That one, under different circumstances, could have been a tougher tie. Saprissa have great pedigree. They have an intimidating stadium. But they're in the midst of a historically bad run. They have a zillion injuries, and they had no fans at the stadium. So put all those factors together, and they ended up being easy prey for the union. But the other two are really worth highlighting. Atlanta won both legs against an Alajuelense's side. They were unbeaten in 25 entering this tie. They hadn't lost a game in five months. And Atlanta went in there and won despite that uh, red card to Guzan in the first leg, and then they beat him again at home. Now, to be fair, Alajuelense were murdered by that COVID travel restriction thing. They, they were down several starters in that second leg, but nevertheless, very impressive for Atlanta to win that tie the way they did. And then the Toronto Leon one is borderline mind boggling. The fact that Toronto, in preseason form with a new coach, missing all these players, including the reigning MLS MVP and Alejandro Pozuelo, and without even having a home match, were able to eliminate the reigning Mexican champions, Leon, who got to play in their own stadium with fans. And, and then the second game was in the Orlando f- training facility, which I believe you called an, an interesting camera angle for, for that <laughs> yes. game. I felt the first half, I felt like I was playing left back for Leon, but. Uh, nevertheless, uh, incredibly impressive for Toronto to win that tie. So hats off to them. Yeah, that was I mean, magn- from a results standpoint, great week. Arguably the best week for MLS in CONCACAF Champions League. To your point, though, I, I think that Toronto is the only team that actually beats somebody that is better than them. Okay? And, you know, I mean, 26 games or whatever it is, okay, but who are you playing? All right? I mean, you can, you can, you can have a streak of... Uh, of beating people, but if you're just beating teams that aren't very good, then uh, Herediano and on. let me see how many Costa Rican teams I come can on. <laughs> come on. And and look, I don't want to I don't want to poo poo it because it's great because now we have 
five chances. It also means that two you know, MLS teams are going to go up against each other in Atlanta and Philadelphia. So the matchups now are Atlanta, Philadelphia, Toronto, Cruz Azul, Columbus, Monterey, and Portland, uh, America. Now, again, again, we're looking at a situation here. Sorry about that. Somebody's uh, is calling here. Stop calling me. Stop calling me. Uh, so again, we're looking at a situation where you have Atlanta versus Philadelphia. All right, let's take that one aside for a second. Toronto versus Cruz Azul. Again, I would say that Cruz Azul is a better team than, than Toronto. Although what, what Toronto did, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But, but certainly, they're going to have their hands full. Uh, Columbus Monterey. Mm, I mean, Columbus obviously defending uh, MLS Cup champs. Uh, a very, very good team. Maybe it's a push. I don't know. Uh, and then Portland versus America, right? I would say that America is a better team than Portland. So again, again, you're up to it. Now, the Atlanta-Philadelphia game is interesting because we were on set yesterday and we were having a talk uh, about which games we're excited about. And this game, the, the Atlanta-Philadelphia game, uh, to, some, to, to some guys on set, it didn't jazz them up. I, I'm of the belief that that's going to be really, really interesting because this is a huge, huge competitive moment early in the season for two teams that have identified this tournament as something that, not that nobody, everybody wants to win it, but I think that they have looked at it as a priority. And then the overall priority from MLS of being that first. And I think that both of them will look at each other as a much better matchup than some others out there, so a much more direct path to get to that uh, that semifinal game. What uh, what do you see in in terms of these uh, these quarterfinal matchups, uh, Mossy, that uh, excites you? Uh, all three League MX uh, MLS matchups really really excited me. Um, I I would say I would give Cruz Azul a slight edge over Toronto. The other two, Portland, America, and Columbus, Monterey, I think are absolute 50-50s. You know, we, we, we sometimes build up these Mexican clubs to be these juggernauts, and they're not. I, I feel like MLS is caught up, and they're all on the same level. And so I have no problem saying these are 50-50s. Uh, and now MLS teams will have gotten some games in and they'll be a little better formed than they were going into the round of 16. And so, and maybe get some of these healthy players back. We'll see if Pozuelo comes back for Toronto perhaps even Sebastian Blanco with Portland. I'm not sure what his situation is, but uh, so uh, I, no, I think the MLS teams have a real chance here. And, you know, as, as great as that last round was, there was only one team, uh, right. Uh, Toronto that it, it was facing Mexican uh, uh, opposition. Right. Uh, so this sure. is, this is where usually and historically MLS teams have struggled is when they get up against uh, Mexican op opposition here. So, and I know it's different, you know, 2020, and 2021 are still different. You mentioned the, the you know the crowds and the you know the fact that that Toronto's playing their games in uh, in a neutral venue, basically down in uh, uh, down in Florida right now. So there are extenuating circumstances out there, but still, this is we are right to be excited about uh, about the number of teams and the results that they had, especially early in the season. And uh, and that Toronto thing was just amazing with the amount of young homegrown type of players, the amount of talent that they were missing. And it wasn't a fluke. It wasn't a smash and grab. Um, it wasn't a park the bus type of situation. They they dealt with the pressure that came and they found a way to win. And that bodes well for the future for Toronto this year. And from a, a, a youth development standpoint, you know, the kids are all right. Absolutely. Uh, anything else, Mossy, when it comes to CONCACAF Champions League? No, that's it. All right, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, oh, yeah, it's time for Ask Alexi. You know that. 
I don't know if you love it, but you, you know it. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, we're back, and it's time for Ask Alexa. You send those questions in on the, um, the Twitter machine or the uh, Instagram machine or any machine out there you can, that you can get it to us. Last week, we did an audio uh, Ask Alexa, which worked out great. We're still fine-tuning and trying to figure out maybe if we, uh, if we use that going forward. This week, we have all, uh, I think, I'll, I think all, all from Twitter this week. Uh, what do the people want to know this week, Mossy? Uh, first up, Camden Taylor. Mind you, uh, on any other day, this would have been like the biggest story in European football, but obviously <laughs> this got sort of pushed to the uh, right. background. He asks, what do you think of the Mourinho news? And what he's alluding to is Jose Mourinho was sacked by Tottenham today. I'll, I'll tell you, so I got up and obviously my timeline was was full of the Super League stuff. So much so that when I saw this this tweet to me, I, I, didn't, I thought that they were just anticipating something was going to happen. I didn't realize that it already had happened. I had to go search it <laughs> online, and it showed, yes, Jose Mourinho has been fired. Um, that's how big this Super Club, um, Super League uh, story was. And I don't know if that's good or bad for Mourinho, who, who is used to being the center of attention, right? Uh, although, you know, he's getting fired, and all anybody wants to talk about and all anybody is talking about is the, uh, the Super League. By the way, um, the Spurs got in, right? Uh, they got into the Super League, so they're going uh, yes. to be okay, right? <laughs> so, I mean, is... <laughs> Is this going to change the fortunes of this uh, of this team? Should it be a should it be a surprise? I think it got to a point where they wanted to do it at a time that gave them enough lead up and enough time to make a change right now. Um, whether that's a, a you know a, a temporary type of thing or a, a much long term, because they fired the entire staff, not just Mourinho, the entire entire staff is gone. Um, and I just think that they they looked at this and said. This is going to get worse before it gets better, and I don't think it's going to get better. So I think that this is ultimately a good thing. This was not going in the right direction anymore, and I don't think that it could be resurrected and headed in the right direction. Mossy, what about you? Well, the timing is fascinating because Tottenham play this upcoming weekend Manchester City at Wembley in the League Cup final. And, and we've talked about this on the podcast. Yep. Mourinho was clearly circling that game and saying, if I can figure out a way to win that game and win a trophy, it would be Tottenham's first trophy in more than a decade, then I might be able to turn this whole narrative around and, and claim that th this season was a success by the mere fact that we won a trophy. We didn't want any, they didn't win anything under Pochettino and then my first full season, I've delivered a trophy and Tottenham, I think actually feared that yep. scenario in a way yep. and <laughs> decided to pull the plug on this before he had a chance to accomplish that. But yeah, th there, there, there are two overriding questions when it comes to Jose Mourinho. Um, number one is, can a manager quote unquote lose it? Because you know it, it would be preposterous for a player who's being criticized for his form in 2021 to rebut that by pointing to some performance of his in 2010. We'd all look at that and say, well, who cares? That was 10 years ago, we're talking about now. But when Jose Mourinho is criticized for his coaching methods and questioned about the job he's doing with the club in 2021, he has no issue referencing, well, how could you question me? I won such and such. And he mentions trophies won in 2004 and 2010. And, and I guess the question is, is that relevant? You know, when you're talking about a manager, can, can, can a manager who was great and who had the success that he had lose it? Or, or how, how do you, what do you make of that? Oh, I, they can definitely lose it. I mean, I think what <laughs> the, there's, there's only one thing to say to Jose Mourinho. All right. Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? Okay. And he knows that, but he is grasping 
he is grasping to anything as as he as he as he feels that sinking feeling that is coming on. And you know, to, to your point, not having that ability to point to silverware or the, you know potentially point to silverware here, um, that that is going to irk him. Now he'll try to take if if Tottenham does go on and win it, he'll try to take credit <laughs> for it and say, ah, I brought them to the the brink, and then they you know they got rid of me and they didn't want me there and all, and and because that's kind of that's kind of what he does, but. I still think he's a fascinating character. I still think he can be a good coach. I don't think, because people have charged that that the game has passed him by. Um, I don't necessarily think that the game has, has passed him by. I just think that the scenarios and the situations in which he is applicable and which he can be successful are much more limited. Uh, when it comes out there, which is why that next move of his, you know, who knows? I don't know what it's going to be. Maybe it's international, but he's still going to get plenty of opportunities out there because he is Jose, Jose Mourinho for, to your point, what he has done over the span of his career, including back in 2010. And the other morning point I want to make is I do feel like we grade him on a curve, but he has only himself to blame for it. And what I mean by that is Mourinho and his devotees want to make it just about results and how do his results compare with other managers? But I look at it as, are his results so good to compensate for the negative intangibles that he seems to bring to any situation, the toxic atmosphere, he alienates his own players, he makes your club unlikable, he plays a boring brand of football. And so if the results are really, really good, you can argue that it's worth the trade-off. But if they're just okay, then you start to wonder, well, we could probably be doing more or less the same with another manager who's not as much of a headache to deal with. So, you know, I know that bothers his devotees. They point to Mourinho versus this and Mourinho versus, wait, wait a minute, his results aren't that much different. But that's the point. The results aren't that much different. And that guy isn't the headache that you are. So do you think that's fair? Do you think we we do judge Mourinho in that way? Well, I mean, you hit, you hit upon a thing. The baggage that comes with him is something that you have to factor in. You know, it, it's what you are in essence, it's what you are paying for, but it it sucks the air out of the, the room. It, it it creates challenges that maybe weren't there um, in terms of the personnel and how you're dealing with it from a media perspective. All that kind of stuff has to be, uh, you know, ha- has to be factored in when you hire Jose Mourinho. And some people want that, and some people think that that is that is a good thing. And, and certainly, Spurs thought at the moment that it was a good thing, but. You know, I, I, it'd be interesting to hear in the in the coming days. Well, I don't know if he'll talk a whole lot, but eventually he will talk about his time and what he ultimately, you know, how he tries tries to shape the narrative and what he points to as were the problems and was it a, you know, because everyone said very nice things on his going out. I love to work with him, all that kind of stuff. Does he point to the leadership there or decisions that were made that he had no control of or? You know, maybe he didn't have any control over. So the, all and, that will will come out as he tries to resurrect his you know his image out there, and there'll be plenty of people that are doing it uh, that will be doing it for him. And I, I'm not saying it's not it's not justified. Like I said, I am not willing to give up on the um, the ability and the talent, and I think ultimately the brilliance that can be. Jose Mourinho in the right type of situation and scenario. I don't know what that is out there, and which is why if he were to make the jump to to the international game, and that's that's always hard because of the limited time that you have on the field, and I don't know how much of a junkie he ultimately is for that time on the field, or if he's just a junkie for the attention and the challenge, and which you could certainly get in the international game too. But it, it goes away that day in and day out type of existence, and maybe that's something that that he would really thrive under. Uh, but and I'm here to see it. But I, you know, I'm I'm trying to think of 
what national team out there would would be a team that that needs to do something to improve but is not a complete bottom feeder and still has enough cachet to qualify and I guess to to deserve the greatness of Mourinho I don't know what do you think I would look at his native Portugal if they maybe uh I don't know if they don't perform well at this Euros uh, maybe yeah. they you know they'd be maybe. intrigued by bringing in Mourinho but who knows uh the interesting thing is uh, a name that's been mentioned for, to replace him at Tottenham is Julian Nagelsmann, but they, they need to hurry up because Nagelsmann is also the odds-on favorite to take over Bayern Munich next season. That was the other big manager who news the past few days, Hansi Flick, after Bayern's weekend victory, which, by the way, increased their lead in the Bundesliga to seven points, so they're going to win it again. They're up seven with five to play over Leipzig. Um, uh, he came out in the post-match press conference and said, I want out of my contract this summer. He has a contract until 2023. He said, I, I, I'm, I'm ready to go. And what everybody's pointing to there is Yogi Love has announced he's leaving the German national team after the Euros and Hansi Flick would presumably take over him. He was an assistant under Yogi Love in 2014 when they won the World Cup. So everybody's connecting those dots. Uh, and yeah, it's just a fascinating turn of events. A, a couple of thoughts on this. First of all, what a meteoric rise for Hansi Flick, a guy, let's be honest, nobody had ever heard of. Nico Kovac gets sacked. He had never managed in the Bundesliga before. They appoint him as just the interim guy until they can get a quote-unquote real replacement, but then they couldn't find anybody, and Hansi was doing well. So they said, okay, we'll stick with him through the end of the season. He ends up winning a treble. He, he won six trophies in less than a year. Um, and all of a sudden has elevated himself in a short time to this position where he can pick and choose between Bayern and Germany and basically tell Bayern to bugger off because he has something else he'd rather go do. Uh, and and, and, and the, the, the genesis here is of all this is that he has major issues with the sporting director whose name I'm, I'm going to absolutely butcher, Hassan Salihamidzic. <laughs> He's a former player there. Uh, <laughs> apologies we'll to him. Right, uh, yeah, I won't even try it again, embarrass myself. But... Um, uh, and so they, they've butted heads a lot on transfers and, and Hansi wanted more control. And so the relationship deteriorated to the point where Hansi said, yeah, you know, I've got this other option here with Germany. And so I'm out of here. And it's a blow for Bayern because that is not a, an easy dressing room. And the players have turned on some coaches there from Ancelotti to Kovac. I've, 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 frankly, I've often compared it to the U.S. women's national team, which is for all that success that they've had. It's not the easiest dressing room. The players don't, don't always love authority. Uh, and Bayern have that same issue. And they finally found the guy who the players love like the players are, are deeply disappointed with this news they wanted Hansi Flick to stay there and instead he goes because of a power struggle with the sporting director having nothing to do with players with problems in the dressing room and so now Byron got to scramble to find a replacement although they could do a lot worse than Julian Nagelsmann I think if he takes over there he would do phenomenally well don't worry Mossy Byron's gonna be just fine don't don't you although interestingly enough Byron are not one of the clubs that have signed up for the Super League and Karl Heinz Rummenigge. So the, <laughs> there, there's an organization within UEFA, the ECA, European Club Association, which was uh, run by Andrea Agnelli, the Juventus boss. And obviously, since Juventus, since one of the driving forces for the Super League, Agnelli at least had the uh, uh, had the wherewithal to quit the USA and realize it would be a terrible conflict of interest. And the guy that's been appointed as his replacement is Rummenigge, which. People are pointing to saying, well, maybe Bayern are not into the Super League thing at all. Because as we mentioned, 12 teams have signed up for it. But the few big ones that didn't, like Bayern and PSG, everybody initially assumed, well, it's a matter of time. Of course, they're going to join the party too. Uh, but some moves have happened here in the last 24 hours that have made people think maybe Bayern are not on board with this whole thing and are actually going to side with UEFA. And so we'll see. Well, I mean, if this ultimately were to happen, and it's 
and it's big, you, yeah, they're they're gonna go if if it happens. <laughs> if it happens, I think they'll go. It is interesting too that Agnelli at Juventus for the longest time was seen as the driving force behind the the uh, Super League, but in fact, it is Florentino Perez at Real Madrid who's been named the president of the Super League, who's who's at the top of the food chain, and Agnelli is a vice president along with Glazer. So, well, it might yeah, be a limited reign. Was... It might be a very limited reign for him, <laughs> 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 depending on um, how this uh, this goes. All right, what else do people uh, want to know? Uh, Nathan Pile wants to know, uh, should coaches be allowed to talk to their players during an in-game hydration break? Doesn't this create a timeout that wouldn't exist if the weather conditions didn't allow? Interesting. It does. Well, so you, you'd want to bar them, like put them in a box or something when, <laughs> when the, uh, hydration break happened. We talked about this when these started to come in, what was it? Uh, whenever they, they, they had them the original time that this is a unique opportunity. And to your point, uh, Nathan, you're absolutely right in that it is an advantage. You know, the, the, uh, the great fallacy out there is that, that coaches are, are incredibly important um, and are able to dictate and, uh, and do things that have an impact on the field during the game. Every coach will ultimately tell you that their, their hands are tied and they have very little ability to affect change. You know, they make the starting lineup, they'll scream and yell and pace the sideline. A lot of it is, is just simply performative. And, you know, usually it's that guy that's playing on the wing that ultimately has any type of information intake from the, from the coaches. And even that person, uh, and Kobe Jones is, was one of the greats at it, is able to block out that very, very, uh, very, very quickly. Having said that, the only time that you get to actually talk to your team is before the game, halftime. Uh, and you know, I suppose any type of information that you are able to impart during that, that, that craziness that's going on. So this gets an opportunity where you get together and you can actually look them in the eye and they can acknowledge you and you can tweak some things here or there that you are see, seeing are going wrong. I mean, there's a reason why timeouts and that coaching moment in a game like basketball is so important, okay? It's because you get to stop things down. And it runs counter to what our game is, which is a free-flowing type of thing that is the responsibility and the ownership is given to the fans in a unique way relative to other sports. So, yes, I don't – well, I don't – yes, there it is an advantage. And, yes, it is a unique type of situation that, that has not existed – but I don't think that's necessarily a, a bad thing. I mean, yesterday we were watching um, the game from Miami. Obviously, it was hot down in Miami, and so they had hydration breaks. And you saw both sides, both Phil Neville on one side and uh, Greg Vanny on the other side. They, they immediately knew, hey, this is a window of opportunity for me to do some things that I can't do in a normal type of situation. And from the moment that whistle blew to the moment that the whistle blew to start the game up, Greg Vanny was walking around and talking about what he wanted to have uh, to have done. So, um, yes, it wouldn't exist without the weather conditions, and in normal games it, it doesn't, but you use what is there to your advantage. And it's, it is fair in that both teams get that advantage and that opportunity uh, to do something uh, during the game. But I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want them to be banned from doing that and you have the coach standing off to the side or anything like that if you got the opportunity great use it and if it's going to make the game better if it's going to help your team because you have a coach that in that 45 seconds to a minute to two minutes whatever it ends up being is able to parse his words in a way that is effective yeah go for it go for it and i'd love to see it i'd love 
you know, sometimes coaches are mic'd up. Sometimes we actually have a mic down there. And to, to know what they are choosing, because you got to be really efficient, and you can't be talking about a million different things, and you have to zone in. And every coach that goes through coaching school will tell you about being efficient and being able to edit yourself and just hone in on what you think are the most important points. You can't just have a list of 10 things out there. And what they decide in that moment is the important point uh, would always be interesting to me. Uh, what else, Mossy? We'll end on this. Uh, Jay Alexander asks, um, Alexi, as Jack Black said, rock and roll is about sticking into the man, yet you consistently defend the establishment. How do you love rock and respect the man, parentheses, U.S. Soccer Federation, MLS, and TV networks? Oh, interesting. Well, this I think this is ripe for a one for the road, Mossy. Uh, we've done this a couple times over the, uh, over the week. So what we'll do is we'll take a break, and I'll come back, and I'll answer Jay Alexander's accusation slash question about my uh, how genuine or authentic uh, I, I may be when I am uh, talking about, or if I'm just standing for the man. I don't know if they, I don't know if that's even the right way to use it. Now I've used it twice on the pod. All right, we'll take a real quick break. We'll come back. I'll have my one for the road. All right, welcome back. Uh, as you mentioned, Mossy, uh, someone named Jay Alexander asked me. As Jack Black said, rock and roll is about sticking it to the man, yet you consistently defend the establishment. How do you love rock and respect the man, USSF, MLS, and TV networks? Ask Alexi. Okay. So first off, uh, it's a quote from uh, School of Rock, a uh, you know very uh, famous and popular movie that came out a while ago about a, a teacher who teaches his kids in a private school type of setting, uh, music and rock and all that kind of stuff. Um, first off, that was a um, blockbuster type of movie that was created, uh, promoted, and sold by, quote unquote, the man. So the only reason that you know what Jack Black said in that moment is because of the man. I don't, and this goes back to you know some of the things that we talked about in the opening segment uh, with regards to the Super League. Um, I know that at times I look at things from a business perspective. I don't see the word business as a dirty word. I don't even necessarily see greed as a dirty word. And like I said, it's not, you know it's not necessarily the the Gordon Gecko because it certainly can lead uh, lead to problems. And so having perspective uh, is important. Um, I don't go out of my way to support or champion or defend the, quote, establishment out there, whether it's Major League Soccer, whether it's United States Soccer Federation, whether it's TV networks. Yes, I have bosses. Yes, I have a job that I want to keep. And we all are armed with our history and our baggage and our bias uh, when it comes to that. And we all ultimately are looking out for our, our best interest. And that's, you know, that's not anything that, that myself or anybody else out there. But you know, I'm not told what to say. Obviously, I don't want to go out there and say stuff that I don't believe in or that stuff that is stupid or stuff that is going to get me into trouble with anybody, including my employers out there. But I'm never saying something that I don't believe. And when it comes to you know, the business of the game, I just find, as I said at the beginning of the show, the amount of hypocrisy and sanctimony with how people view, quote unquote, the man and the businesses that we create and the way we seem to 
be blind to the the positive nature that can come out of business, the positive nature that can come out of some of the quote establishment. And you know, to your point about rock music, all right? Rock is bought and sold, okay? Something that is bought and sold. Um, for example, hell, the Beatles. The Beatles are a product. They always has been. But just because they are, it doesn't mean that they can't be emotional. They can't be passionate. They can't be personal. They can't be beautiful. And they can't be moving. And criticizing the establishment or criticizing the man simply because it is the establishment or the man, if you will, I don't, I don't know what that gets me or anybody out there. If I truly see something that I think is wrong, of course I'm going to, of course I'm going to say it. If I truly see something out there that I believe is detrimental to a game that I know and love, I am going to say it. But I'm not just going to say it because it's virtue signaling or it appeals to masses out there. If I have a differing opinion when it comes to some of these things, that's, that's, that's what I do. And it's, and it's okay. I like to think that there is civil and respectful type of response to something that I say in terms of you disagreeing with it. But... I don't think that your kind of blanket statement here of saying that all I do is constantly defend the establishment. You know, I defend competition. I defend business. I defend people that are the innovators and the workers that strive to give us new business and in doing so create a better product for me as the customer. Yeah, I'm going to stand up for them. And when it is popular and when it is successful, yes, if there are, if there are things to be uh, celebrated, I'm going to definitely extol the virtues of something like that. So, for example, something like Major League Soccer, which has plenty of faults, but it's also in the work that has been done by your, quote, man out there or the establishment out there. It's created the most successful American professional soccer league in history. And as I said, it's got, it's got problems out there. And I, and you probably just don't see it, but I certainly call it out when it is, uh, when it is not doing something that is right. And when I think that either on or off the field, something needs to be uh, called out. And it's the same way with the United States uh, Soccer Federation. But I always put myself, or try to put myself in other people's positions, in other people's shoes when they're thinking about this. There are smart men and women out there that think about these things and make these decisions that... People react to and oftentimes react to uh, from an emotional level. And I get that. I do that too at times. But if you take a step back and actually look at why things are being done, it's not necessarily because people are out to get you. It's not necessarily because these are all villains out there that are hell-bent on destroying uh, you and destroying uh, creativity and destroying what you believe out there. Or in this case, uh, in your question, you know, are the are the villains when it comes to rock <laughs> out there. Um, I think that there is a connection. I think that there is a partnership when it comes to something that is, for example, like music, creative and emotional and passionate out there with the people that can take that situation and that emotion and that passion and that creativity and that artistry and 
package it and sell it and in doing so provide the world with the opportunity to participate in it or have it in their lives in the same way that when I pull up a Beatles song, all right, it has been marketed, it has been promoted, it has been sold by, yes, quote, the man out there, but it comes from a human element. It comes from a creative and artistic element that can make me smile, that can make me weep, all right, and that I bought it doesn't mean that the people that I bought it for or the establishment or the system that created my ability to buy that is wrong or is a villain or should be criticized all the time. Anyway, uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's the way that I feel about this. My, uh, my Twitter feed is, is amplifying this right now in terms of uh, people that vehemently disagree with the way that I am seeing this Super League, for example and the business aspect that I am applying to it in my justification for giving it a chance. If ultimately they are able to create something that I find entertaining and interesting and is a better product, as I said, than what is being offered to me right now, then yeah, I'm gonna buy it and I'm gonna be a consumer. It remains to be seen whether that's going to happen. And it remains to be seen whether that happens with something like the Superliga or a Beatles album or anything that I'm producing out there. The customer and the marketplace will decide. And I want to give people the opportunity to have that co competition. And I talk all the time about creating and building a better mousetrap. If you can do that, I will support that because I love that because it forces me, if I'm in competition with you, to up my game. And ultimately, we as customers and we as consumers, we're the ones that benefit because that type of, that type of competition, you know, the, the cream rises to the, the, rises to the top. Anyway, uh, that's how I justify it. Uh, I'm sorry, what was his name? Uh, Jay Alexander. That's how I justify when I do defend the establishment. And that's also how I justify it when I do criticize the establishment out there, which while you may not think that I do, I certainly do. Uh, anything, Mossy, before should, we go? Should I read a couple of these tweets that you've received this morning? I've just been strong. Sure, go ahead. No, yeah. kidding. Go ahead, and, and Jeff Hernandez, the, the bleep button would be <laughs> so active, it would be kind of farcical. It's, uh, well, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll finish it here, though. You know, the way that this is being framed, especially when it comes to America and, uh, and England in particular right now, and this is the Americans, and blame the Americans out there. And, and Alexa, you don't understand what real passion is and real supporters culture is. This is nothing new, by the way. This is evergreen type of stuff that I have been accused at for, uh, for, for many, many years. You have no heart. You have no soul. You don't understand. And this is Americans trying to understand what football is, as if... England, uh, you know, has, you know, has, it, there's no greed in England or in Europe or when it comes to uh, soccer out there, or there's, um, you know, that they have this, uh, you know, this monopoly on um, true, authentic and genuine type of supportership out there or understanding of what the game actually is in its purest form or anything like that. Come on. Well, uh, Jeff Hernandez does want me to read one of these tweets. Um, so okay, a guy named Eddie said to you, fuck you. You were a shit player and somehow an even shittier analyst. Uh, uh, Jeff, <laughs> I would like to get Eddie on the show next week as a, a guest for the opening segment. So, Wow. All right. So uh, that's, uh, I mean, that's to the point, I think. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, just a, a, an incredibly... Um, 
concise and articulate type of framing. See, I, I know we're running long like here, that. but I would like to get Jeff Hernandez and Luis Aguilar in. This is such a big topic. I'm curious to hear what they think. Uh, yeah, bring them, the bring them in. Bring them in. Come on, guys. Let's go. Uh, let's go to Jeff first. What do you What do you see uh, this super club thing? Am uh, you know the the shill that I am and the heartless person that I am uh, welcoming in something like this? Do you think that this is the end of days? I do see your point, but I agree a little bit more with Masi on the teams, you know, being in their leagues, fighting for the fourth spot. I think we'll lose some of that when the teams, you know, join the Super League and they don't have to fight for that. Uh, you know, I, I definitely see your point about the competition, all in for it. But I feel like, yeah, we lose a little bit of that. And I, and I, I agree with Masi there. But you're a, you are a potential customer out there. And if and yeah. when this happens, will you watch it or at least taste it? Yes. I mean, we always, this is as soccer fans, we always do this, right? We it's like, no, we're not going to buy in. We're not going to buy, uh, we're not going to buy, buy for Premier League, but, you know, we end up buying all these things. We're, we're but if this, how can you say that though? If this is the Antichrist, if this is the end of days, is if this is going to destroy the, what we have built over the years, how could you possibly partake in something like that, even just to taste it? That, that makes no sense to me at all. Uh, anyway, Luis, what do you got? I think. You know, to that point, you know, you think about COVID in the beginning of it, where people just were missing sports, they'll take anything they can get. I think, you know, an example of this is like Liga MX, like they got rid of Pro Rel, like you can buy your way to the first division and people are still watching it. I'm still watching it week in, week out because I love Cruz Azul and my team. Um, So I think people could justify it saying like, well, I'm a fan of my team. You know, who cares if Pro Rel is gone? Who cares? about all these things. I just want to see Messi and Ronaldo play, and that's all I care about. God. But Luis, Luis, always the <laughs> man, voice of reason, oh huh? Man. So it. <laughs> man, oh man. You know, you, 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 you talk a big game, and you tell everybody how wrong they are, and you tell everybody how you're supposed to live, and what you're supposed to do, and what you're supposed to say. But then ultimately, when it really comes down to it, you betray everything. Uh, and go and watch, uh, and go and watch the sports, and go and watch your teams, and uh, and the and life moves on. I still love you guys, though. Thank you for uh, participating the, this week, guys. Uh, we went a little bit long, but you know, as as we said at the beginning of the show, this news broke uh, over the last seventy two hours, and certainly as we were coming on air. And it's still by the time by the time you're listening to this, there might be a whole other aspect of uh, of this uh, super league story, uh, super league story that we we didn't get to. So we'll have to talk about it again next week and see where we are then. Mossy, anything? That's it. All right. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Uh, thank you so much for uh, downloading and subscribing and rating and doing and re- reviewing and doing all the things that you do out there on the platforms. We really, really appreciate all of our listeners and our watchers out there on all the different platforms that you can get it. Um, thank you so much for being a part of the State of the Union. We'll be back again next week. And until then, and as always, size the day. Yeah.